Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. The Lord laid on my heart to share on the churches in the book of Revelation, and there are seven of them. Seven very real churches when John the Apostle wrote, from the vision that he received from the Lord, this, as we're looking at these churches, these are not the words of the Apostle John to the churches. He is merely scribing, writing, what is the uh, voice of Jesus for these seven churches that were in existence at the time. And we also realize that looking at these seven churches, we also are seeing the unfolding of church history and the seven periods of the church from the departure of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost until the coming of the Lord. Now, as we look at these churches, we realize it just feels a little intense. And we ask ourselves the question, is Jesus that intense towards us? But what we have to realize that from heaven's perspective in which Jesus is speaking, we're going to have all eternity to be able to celebrate the peacefulness that Christ has intended for us. But he comes with a voice to the mission of the church with intentionality. Also, it's as hard to get our mind around, but there are specific warnings to any church. Now, let me say this. Warnings, if you think about it, are rooted in love because what you don't care about, you don't warn. So the Lord has a warning for these churches to live in their generation according to the mission that Christ has given to us. We are here today, Cornerstone Christian Center exists today with a mission and a calling and a voice and the provision of the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every believer moving between us, around us, within us, ahead of us, behind us, in our coming, in our going, in weeping and rejoicing. The Spirit of God inside of us. So we're going to be looking at these seven churches. And then after that, we're going to look at the entire book of Revelation. And you say to me, at the pace you're going, Certainly Jesus will come before we're done talking about the book of Revelation. But yeah, amen. That's a great idea. But let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. And he's addressing a specific church. It's called the Church of Sardis. The Church of Sardis. And let's receive instruction from the Holy Spirit today through the Word of God. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, and yet you're dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have found, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. 
Then if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in, what gar in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I need you this morning and we all need you and we want to be a church that is faithful to you and faithful to the mission. And Father, Heavenly Father, I ask, let the Spirit of God's voice be the only voice that's heard today. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. A church in the city of Sardis. Sardis was once the capital of Lydia. And the reason why this city was planted and came into prominence is because the river that served that area provided fresh, clean water, but also in its banks they discovered that there was sparkling gold. And so this city was able to thrive because you could sustain life because of the water, but there was a provision of wealth that just came from the mountains. How beautiful is that? Because they were so wealthy, and being established as the capital in 1200, they were able to build strong walls and it was very well fortified. So even in the wealth and in the provision of water, because of those two things, they could build security around themselves. And as a city, they felt as though their existence had been in a place where they were peaceful and their enemy could not overtake them. They were comfortable in that. There were two occasions though where they say that the leaders of the city became so complacent and so confident in the walls and in the provision that on two occasions they almost lost everything because they became lax. And they didn't realize that even though they were blessed, they had a responsibility for their security and almost everything was gone. Well, they existed obviously for a long time, but even during the life of Jesus in 17 AD, something very real happened to the city of Sardis and an earthquake struck it and destroyed the entire city and destroyed its walls. So now when the apostle John is writing this letter, we see the city that had faced a tragedy, something unexpected had happened, but the story is told this that the leaders were more content in speaking about the days of the past than they were concerning rebuilding towards the future. Their glory was not a present glory, but their glory was a past glory. You could maybe say this, that their leaders got up and said, oh, but I believe in the Sardinian people, and they always rise again. But it wasn't true. And as we look at this city here, under its watch, the leadership, and then reflected in the people, had lost something that didn't need to be lost. 
If we look at the church period of what we're talking about, in this church period, it would be from 1550 to 1720. What happened then? Well, during that time in church history, it was a very powerful church. It actually controlled nations. It led empires. It established kings. And it had the reputation of the world. It is so powerful. It is so vibrant. It is so capable. It is so life-giving. But it is a reflection that we find in the city of Sardis that that church had a reputation of being alive. And yet the Lord would say to them, but you are dead. And he would also say this, and you have forgotten the things that you have taught. And the Lord would tell them during that period of 1550 to 1720 to get back to the truth. Because the church had had veered so far away from the truth in which it was established that if you were wanting to be a believer during that time and sitting in a church during that time, you might find out that you wouldn't even know how to be reconciled with God and the message had been lost on how to have your sins forgiven. There was something else that was happening in the 1500s and they were building that great cathedral They were building St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. If you've been there, you are struck with how massive and how impressive it is. Certainly you would think something, a church that was vibrant and alive built such a thing, but there was something going on. And maybe you don't know, in order to be able to build that church, the church that followed Jesus Christ began to sell indulgences. Now, what were these indulgences? When we were looking at the church last week, we realized that the sin that entered into that church period was the veneration and the worship and the praying to saints. In the the time period of the 1500s, the establishment of the life of the saints, and what does that do? Well, certain people in the church are saints, and the rest of you, eh, you got your problems. The saints got in to the heaven, And the rest of us could only hope so. So there was this class distinction, multi-tiered level from pope to archbishops to bishops down to just local pastors and then deacons. And then inside the mindset of Christians was this idea that some people are just more worthy before God in the worthiness of who they are than others. And they are the saints. Now, what are these indulgences that I'm talking about that were being sold? They established this idea that the saints had lived such excellent lives that they had more deeds than they needed to get into heaven. So in order to be able to establish um, that fundraising that could build that impressive cathedral in Rome, The people were told, as men went out and traveled from city to city, that you can purchase the unused good deeds of the saints. So you want grandma out of purgatory? No, listen, this is real. You want to spring grandma out? You can buy indulgences, leftover good works that were not necessary. That's actually one of the phrases during the time. This is true. As soon as the coin in the bucket clings, a soul from purgatory springs. 
That is a complete violation of the gospel. Jesus and the gift of salvation are not to be bought and paid for. And the truth is this, is that if any saint by his own good works got into heaven, then he messed up the curve for all of us and Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and die. But the Bible says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. And anyone who is a saint is only made saint by faith in Jesus Christ and through his blood that was shed for all of us. And the Lord is reminding this period of the church, get back to what you used to do and what you used to know. So it's really kind of amazing. Now, when we think about this city, we begin to realize that the mentality of the culture had invaded the mentality of the church. The church had gotten to the place where the greatness of their story and their narrative was all about the things that God had done in the past. But they couldn't say what God was doing in the present. When you think about all of that, it's, a, it's, it's this understanding that God, we love theology, and I believe all the stories that are written in the book, whether it's Moses and Elijah to the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul. But the truth is this, the message of our story, yes, it includes the fathers of the faith and the mothers of the faith, but if that's our whole story, about the greatness of the glory days that were in the past, and it's not a vital thing that's going on right now, the Lord would say to us, you might have the reputation that you're alive, but I'm telling you, you're dead. Because are we meant to follow the lives of dead men? Or are we are followers of the living Christ? In order to be able to understand this passage, we first have to have a glimpse of Jesus, and that's what we're given. And every, and every correction brought to the church, he knew they needed to know who he was. And one of the things says that he is the one who holds and owns the seven stars. And who are the stars? We find out in the scripture that the stars, it says, are the messengers of the Lord, the messenger in each church. I believe that it refers to every pastor that's leading every church. The Lord is saying to that pastor, you're in my hands. You say, well, is that an exalted and privileged position? Absolutely not. The Lord is saying to this, pastor, you better understand something. When you lead that church, you're in my hands. Now that can be for as a sign of a provision of blessing, or it can also be an understanding of correction. And the Lord is saying, I hold you pastors in my hand. But then he also says this, that he is the one who has, has, owns, the seven spirits of God. Now, isn't that an odd phrase? How many spirits of God are there? We say that God is a three in one, a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Or is he actually God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, seven times? No, he's not that at all. When we understand the book of Revelation, and also as we look at Isaiah chapter 11, it describes the Holy Spirit as being seven spirits. Now, why would it say that? It's because seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. So why doesn't it say that seven fathers and seven sons and seven Holy Spirits? Because that revelation is very important for us to understand that in our relationship with the divine, 
that it cannot be accomplished except with the connection of the completeness of the Holy Spirit. He is not to be taking in incremental little pieces. You can't take certain parts of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, we believe that he is, but then say something like, but we don't believe he heals anymore, or we don't believe in the gifts anymore, or that kind of stuff has passed away. He is, he, you are to receive him in the completeness of the revelation of the scriptures and in all his fullness. And you have to do that. I went to a college right now that no longer exists. I went and visited it two years ago and drove onto a campus now of a medical training facility. And the reason why is because when I went to that college, I got so sick and tired of talking about how great God is in theory and in theology. And that's wonderful. And I wasn't sick of that, but I was sick of talking about that and then saying, but God doesn't do the stuff he used to do. And that's just a lie. And that's why that place doesn't exist anymore. I was the only graduate of that school that still continued to live locally and was not allowed to come to the school. They would call me once in a year for a contribution, but they wouldn't let me speak there because they, they knew that I believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit of God present at Pentecost and present every day for the church. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in, in such things as the gift of prophecy, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing that are, that are provided for us. I believe that there are the, the, the word gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues with interpretation. He is not to be split up into all, oh, I'll take that part of the Spirit of God and not another because he is everything or he ends up being nothing inside of that church. And that's what's so important. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 11. Here, listen to this, a prophecy about Jesus. And this is Jesus talking to this church. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. It's talking about the Messiah there, and he says he will be a branch that comes from the root of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. This is saying here that there's going to be a branch that is going to rise up on the earth, and most of your Bibles will have that word branch capitalized because it's a reference, it's a messianic promise that there's coming one, and he will come from the line of Jesse, who was the father of who? King David. This is saying that from among the Jews, there will rise up one from the line of David who will be the branch. And Jesus talked about that the kingdom of God is like the smallest little seed that a man throws into the garden, the mustard seed, and it becomes this huge and gigantic tree and that the birds can land in its branches, branch again. This is talking about that there is coming to the earth one to whom all the birds, all those who want to find rest can come to him and land in the branches and he will be the Messiah. It's a beautiful verse about the ministry of Jesus towards you. Jesus is your resting place. But then in Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, the next verse says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I memorize that scripture. If you hang around me in prayer very much, you're gonna find out I pray that scripture a lot. I pray it for myself. I pray it for our church. I pray it for people I care about. I pray it for ministries that are going on. I say, Lord, give to them the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, give them a spirit of understanding, give them a spirit of counsel, give them a spirit of might or strength, give them a spirit of knowledge, and give them this, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. 
I love that verse right there. First off, it talks about seven, seven representations of the Spirit of God. The first one is this. He's called the Spirit of the Lord. And of course, you have to start there, but it's saying this. There is a Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. That word there is Jehovah, and it's just establishing in the hearts of the people, and it has to be established in any effective church. You have to start there. There is one person of the three, the three in one, only one God, but one is the Spirit of the Lord. And that is our theology, that is our faith, that's where we land. But help you to understand this. It can't stop at having good theology. He has to be active. And the next thing he says here is that God will give to you a spirit of wisdom. And what is a spirit of wisdom? The Bible says this. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give liberally and he will not withhold. But let him ask in faith and not waver. If you waver, you're like a wave of the sea. You'll be driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. The Lord says this, you want wisdom? What is wisdom? We attribute wisdom to someone who has the experiences of life. We attribute it to someone who has some gray hair. We think about the idea of wisdom being that person who has many experiences and they've learned the tough way on where to land and on how to do life. It's the ability to take facts and information, but not just to have head knowledge. Oh, I believe in the spirit of the Lord, because head knowledge is not enough. You have to have the experiential knowledge of the Spirit of God and the release of wisdom in your life that takes the Word of God and helps you to know how to apply it. And the Ancient of Days, the one with the gray hair, the white hair in the book of Revelation, he didn't learn through the school of hard knocks, but he has been around a very long time. Absolutely, for all eternity. And he is the one that if you come to him and say, God, you've seen it all. The person I'm dealing with, you've run into that kind of person before. Lord God, I just pray that you would give me the spirit of wisdom on how to deal with them. It's the ability to understand things that other people just don't understand. That is wisdom. The next thing he says there is he'll give you the spirit of understanding. Spirit of understanding is the ability to have gra uh, grasp on information. Can you grasp what's going on around you. Here, you might understand that something is wrong in this day, but did you know that you can come to the Lord and just say, Lord, help me to get my brain around what's really going on here? Listen, human beings are so complicated, and I'm not very good at head games. I'm usually up to my eyeballs in a head game before I even realize what's going on. And the thing is this, is that the Lord says, you know what, I can help you to get it. I can give to you an, an emotional quotient on human interactions that can come from my hand because the Lord would say, I've seen it all. Then he says this, I can give you a spirit of counsel. The prophet Isaiah said this, that his name, the Messiah, will be called Wonderful Counselor. Do you realize that when you need counsel, you have the spirit of God who is perfect and complete do you understand that when you go to the Lord, I, listen, I'm all, I, I love that humanity can help humanity. And if you need a counselor, it's good to get counseling. If you need a life coach, get a life coach. But the bottom line is this, is that you can actually have someone counsel you. And the Lord says that he can be present in your life so that you know whether to move to the right or to the left. Yes. Now that's the kind of counselor I want to have. Do you know 
that he's available to you inside the church. He said he'll give you the spirit of strength. Now, I love that because you can be filled with knowledge and you can be filled with strength and you can be filled with wisdom, but you uh, knowledge and, and wisdom and understanding, but not have the strength to survive. As many of you might know that we had to stand up for our school children and say we are going to respect the wishes of parents, whether they're going to master children or not. And that hit the fan. But I was very interested when everything fell apart that they said, we're just tired of this issue. And you want to know something? I felt like I'm ready to keep fighting. Because you know what the truth of the matter is? You stand for what you believe in and the Holy Spirit is backing you up. You have one tremendous advantage and that you have a strength upon which you can draw. You can say to yourself, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. People might be in the world and they might be able to move with, with um, abilities and authorities and privileges and opportunity, but the spirit of this world cannot release life into their body like the spirit of God can release life into your body he is the one who can sustain you he is the one that can help you the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of might the spirit of knowledge Oh, the spirit of knowledge that's amazing because I loved when we were going over to the county building and I saw some of you standing up way outside of your comfort zone and some of you said I don't know as much as these people do and I don't have all the facts and all the information but you still stood up because you felt like you had to because the spirit of God was strengthening you and giving you strength and courage and you stood up and what was amazing to me is that the Lord said I can give you knowledge I can give you facts. Yes. You might say, I'm not as educated as them. They might have their master's degree and their doctorates and whatever it might be, and we rejoice in that and education and all those things. But the truth is this. Don't let the fact that you might not know all the facts to stop you Amen. because God can teach you them. Now, I'm not saying it's a license for idiocy, but I am <laughs> saying don't let your mind tell you that you can't get it. Step out and believe, and God can start making the dots connect. Amen. Facts. Amen. Knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then he says this, the fear of the Lord. And in that, I rejoice. Because here's the truth. When it comes to me, when it comes to our church, when it comes to our nation, when it comes to our world, all we need is the breath of the Spirit of God and the fear of the Lord will fall upon people and suddenly they will not want to do the wrong thing. They will want to do the right thing. We might say to ourselves, it's too far gone, the cause is lost, and there's no way that you can get that genie back in the bottle, Pandora's box has been opened, whatever you might want to use concerning that, we might say to ourselves, innocence cannot be brought to a generation of children who have been taught immorality and corruption, but I'm telling you something, all it would take is the blast of the breath of the Spirit of God and the fear of the Lord falling 
falling upon any human being. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I'm telling you, church, do not give up hope. We have Jesus who has the seven spirits of God. You might say to yourselves, Christ came to give us eternal life. And that's beautiful and it's true. But even greater than that, Christ came to give us the fullness of God's spirit that you and I can walk in power, authority, strength, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, and all those things. We as a church must be filled with the Spirit of God, not resting on the theology of the Holy Spirit and past glory days Amen. and past outpourings of the Spirit of God. Some men and women during church history have stood up and believed for great things. And because they did, great things happened. Yeah. Why not you? Why not now? Amen. It's so true. The Lord said to this church, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you were alive, and yet you are dead. The Lord goes right first to the idea of reputation. Their reputation. You have a reputation. Oh, it's everybody's talking about it. The Lord says, I know your deeds. They say you're alive, but I'm telling you, you're dead. And it makes me wonder, is it possible that the church around the world and the church in America is more concerned about its reputation before the eyes of men than their reputation in heaven? Here's the truth. You can have a good reputation in earth and have a bad reputation in heaven. And you can have a bad reputation on earth and have a good reputation in heaven. I know that some of you, just by being affiliated with Cornerstone Christian Center over the last eight months has not been exactly convenient, can I say. But the truth is this. Some of you value the reputation and obedience to God over anything else. And I honor you for that and I bless you for that. Because the truth of the matter is, when all is said and done, it only matters what Jesus thinks of us. Amen. They had the reputation of being alive. I looked up the synonyms for the word alive. Here's what it means. Their reputation was that they were vibrant, effective, relevant, breathing, vigorous, moving, functioning, dynamic, and powerful. That was the reputation of the church, and yet the Lord saw something completely different than that. And he says to them, wake up. Wake up. The city of Sardis had wealth. It had fortified walls. It had an amazing story of the past. Yet the city was asleep, and you know what was even worse? The church was asleep. Do you know what the worst thing that can happen to America is? What is the worst institution that could possibly be in America? What is the worst philosophy? What is the worst idea? What is the worst motivation? I'm telling you this. The biggest and worst thing that can happen to America is a sleeping church. That's the worst. We talk about being woke nowadays and God would say I'm telling to the church wake up there is us the spirit of this world that says be woke but the spirit of God says be awake be awake to what's going on 
happen to be privileged to know that there's a story of a child in our region who was taken against the will of the parents because when he went to school, he's provided with a dress to wear this young boy, and the father didn't agree with that. Now that boy is maybe temporarily, we don't know, out of the care of his parents. It was a woke agenda. And yet, God, what was the position? Listen, this thing about masks at our school wasn't about masks. That's silly. It was about families and their right to choose. That's what it was about. It was about standing up for believing in them. And I'm going to tell you, woke is going to rise up against awake. But just because woke might have the ability to say, we can fine you, we can throw you into jail, we can do all kinds of things. The people that are awake say, no, wait a minute. In the church, we carry the seven spirits of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? Wake up, church. You and I have the Holy Spirit. We just need to be awakened to this provision, the full provision of the seven spirits of God. That without him, we can do nothing, but through Christ, we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. The spirit of Jesus that has been conquering for the last 2,000 years and bringing people into alignment with God, that same spirit that quickened him and raised him from the dead is here to energize you. Wake up, the Lord says. New American Standard is the only one that says be constantly alert, but that's, that's a good admonition as well. He says strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. He says, there's some things about to die. They're about, they're, you, if you listen close, you can hear a death rattle. And the Lord says, you better wake up, because they're about to die. They're about to go away. At the founding of our nation, and we're going to be starting our biblical citizenship class again in March. At the founding of our nation, if you explore it, you'll discover how the principles of the scripture, of the Bible, led the thoughts, the writings, the opinions of those who drafted the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence more than any other written or spoken words on the earth. As you realize that God has released the idea of liberty and of freedom to where at the founding of our nation, they were saying this, no king but King Jesus. And when you realize that at the founding of our nation, the flag that we fly out front and appeal to heaven was the flag established by George Washington that says that when you've explored every earthly hope and possibility for justice, 
for fairness and for liberty and you can't find it on the earth, then you have one appeal left and that is an appeal to heaven. We have been gifted with liberties and freedoms and the Lord would even say to us today, wake up church. There were brothers and sisters in Christ who paid a great price for liberty and freedom. They gave up reputation. They gave up wealth. They gave up lands. Their wives died. Their children died in the war. They themselves laid down their lives. And the Lord said to the church, see, the church of Sardis reflected the culture of Sardis. And the Lord would say to us today, have you entered into the downward spiral of culture, of morality, of ethics, of principle, with your culture? When the Lord would say to us, wake up. Wake up, defend the things that are about to die. Did you know that the majority of people that signed the Declaration of Independence were the farmers? So stop with this, oh, we don't have knowledge, we don't have wisdom, we don't have understanding. I'm going to tell you what, you just stand up for what you believe in and you could birth something that could represent freedom to the whole world. Amen. Because Christ lives in you. For the Roaring Fork Valley, I told the story about what happened in a local school, right? But the thing is this, is that that's not cause for panic. You know, we can, if the storm comes up, we can walk on the water. And that's just the truth. Are you and I? It says that he's the, the root of Jesse. It doesn't say the root of David. Well, that would have been such a noble title. But no, Jesse was pretty much came out of obscurity. It's showing the humility of the Messiah when he was the becoming. He didn't say, I'm the son of a king. He said, I'm the son of an obscure man that God raised up. And you feel obscure? I'm going to tell you what. That's just a lie of the enemy. Your savior came from humble beginnings. It's all good. Strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. The Lord is saying, you haven't finished your task. That's the problem we got here right now. What did they do? They went into maintenance mode. The whole city was in survival. Nations can be in survival. And the temptation is the church of the city can go into survival mode and the churches of a nation can go into survival mode. It just gets down to survival, which often is rooted in how to, what if we lose our accumulated, accumulated wealth? What if we lose our building? What if we lose our freedom? What if, and you know what? Because of those ideas, let's just hunker down and let's just survive. And the Lord says, you're not finishing your mission. Bill Bright, the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Lauren Cunningham, the, the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, the largest mission organization in the world, said there are seven areas where the church ought to 
have the effect to disciple. He mentioned these seven things. They mentioned these seven things, and I think it's interesting they came up with seven because there are seven spirits of God, the fully equipping of the church. The first place they said was the place of influence for the true believer should be within the church. The church needs to be wake up. God's got a remnant in the church. They better speak up. The word ecclesia, for the word for church in the Bible, we translate it church, but that just actually means the assembly. And what kind of assembly? It was actually a governing assembly, that word. The Lord had actually called the church. Jesus didn't say, go and, and teach all people on the earth. He said, go and teach all nations. Did you know that the church is supposed to teach nations of all the things that he has commanded us. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, I could go down that lane for a long way. But the thing is this, is that the word for church in the Bible is a governing word. Now, when we think about the second thing that they saw, they saw the place of religion inside culture, but they also said the second most important thing that the church the true believers should be in defense of is the family. When, when we realize that one of our own, because that's how it is, when one of our own was taken against the wishes of a father who said in our, in our region, I don't want my son to wear a dress during the day. I want him to be a man during the day. I'm raising my son to be a man. And he is taken by the leadership of the school and placed against the will of the parents into another facility. We have to realize that we are now living in a culture, woke culture, that is coming against the family. Black Lives Matter, I love the sentiment because they do. But the truth is this, is that if you explored that, it was a Marxist and declared anti-Western family movement. Amen. The destruction of the family and who is supposed to lead in that area, the church should be. Well, if you abort children, I'm going to tell you what, if you abort babies, and why do we wonder what we have a generation where kids, it doesn't matter whether they live or die? Mm -hmm. Because mom could have decided whether they were valuable or not, so they can decide now that they're older whether they're valuable or not. Why should we be alarmed at an increase of suicide in a culture that says when you were conceived, it didn't matter whether the humans let you live or not? Then if, if, we, if we abort them, then we're also telling them that the body that God gave to you, whether male or female, is no indication of your destiny. Right. It's all been lost. whole thing has been broken, which reminds us of the third area that they said the church should influence is in the area of education. And let me say this. The church slept. And now we have trained a generation of godless and lost humans. Because when they took prayer out of the school, when they took the Bible out of the school, and I remember reading the Bible in the public school, look where we are. And you know why? Not because of the liberal agendas in the school. No. Because of a church that was asleep. 
We were silent. And then what happened is we got the government that we have. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to people. So now we live in a culture where if your worldview says there is no God, you can receive funds and you can be hired in the school and say such a thing. But if you just say, no, there is a God, then you can't receive public funds and you can't get a job inside the school and continue to say that. And we have to realize, just without a constitution, let's talk about human fairness. Why is one allowed and another not? Because we're coming against the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age. But I'm going to tell you what. Church, are we going to rise up in the spirit of God? Are we going to be confident? You know, you don't have to. It's not our job to convince them. Just say, thus says the Lord, man. That's, that righteousness will exalt this nation. Government, the arts and entertainment, lost. Arts and entertainment, lost. Sports, lost. Do you notice that hardly anybody's watching the Olympics this year? Well, you know what? It gets a little disheartening when some of your American citizens say, we want to compete for communist China. You know, the thing is this, is that we raise a generation of young people and train them to, to hate their nation. We train them that America is nothing more than bigotry and racism and slavery and all such thing and not, not really giving them the full narrative. Yes, we should face and confront our sins, but the truth is this, is why should, we be, why should we be alarmed right now that no one wants to watch the Olympics? Hollywood is dying. When was the last time that a movie actually was on your radar? Right. Music, where's that going? Mm -hmm. Art, right. is it art? Mm -hmm. And in all these things, we realize that the the beauty and the order of Christ has been lost. And then the final thing that they saw, now, I, I forgot to look. Bill Bright has been gone. We, we saw, we went to uh, an event where he had just passed away, and it was like 20 years ago. So they wrote this list up. Well, guess what the seventh one was? Uh, the area that the church had influenced, they said, was business. And you say, well, that just sounds really weird to me. But do you understand that the Bible says this, that God is the one who gives the power to gain wealth? Do you know that the acquisition of personal wealth is a gift by God? God gives you wisdom and ability in order to be able to do that. I want you to know that the love of money is the root of all evil, but wealth is a blessing of the Lord when it's handled with integrity and with righteousness. Here, I'm going to say this. For the last two years, there has been a deliberate intention to break the wealth of humanity and to shut down business. And the whole reason is God loves businesses. I know that sounds weird. You might be saying, wait a minute, I don't go to the church for that kind of stuff. Listen, the truth is this, is that God wants you to be able to work with your hands and to be able to make choices and decisions, to decide when your business opens and when it closes and how you operate that business and what goes on inside that business. But all of these things, whether it comes to, our, but to religion, family, education, government, arts and entertainment, and business, we're finding that there is a woke agenda to disrupt the entire system. And the Lord says, church, I told you to teach all nations. And we, the church was derelict and allowed people not of the spirit of God to teach an entire generation. Think of that. Oh, but that sounds hopeless, Pastor Jim. Nope. We just need the breath of the fear of the Lord to fall upon our nation, right? Yes. Don't give up hope. Amen. 
So the Lord says, I have found your deeds. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So remember what you received and heard and keep it. And then this word here, not very much heard of in church, but the Lord says, repent. He says, you need to turn around. You need to change your direction. You need to stop being quiet. You need to stop being slovenly. You need to stop slumbering. You need to stop being passive. The biggest challenge for me, and I'm sure that some people feel this even in our congregation. God bless you because you love me enough to stick around. But the biggest accusation against me is that we're getting involved with things we shouldn't have been involved in. There was someone that's in the leadership of Eagle County that actually said the Christians in Eagle County messed up the unity that we've known for years. Here's the whole thing. Here's the whole thing. Here's the whole thing. I'm telling you. When you get to the point where you don't care about what they're saying anymore, you believe in what you believe in, you're saying we got to finish the work that was started and some things are about to be lost. What about the freedom of worship? Or you know what? What about if Christians believe that we raise boys to be men and girls to be women, do you understand it will be, it's coming on our door whether we like it or not. And God wants to pour out his spirit. The Lord says repent. Otherwise, I'm going to come like a thief. I will come suddenly upon you, he's saying. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the Lord is saying this. And he'll say it to this church, and he'll say it to the American church, and he'll say it to the global church. He will say this. I will always have a remnant. I will always have a group of people who will not bow. I will always have a people who desire the kingdom of God more than the offerings of this world. I will always have a group of people who just says, I don't want to think like the spirit of this age. I don't want its voice in my home. I don't want it in my values. I don't want it in my marriage. I don't want it anywhere. I'm going to live for Christ, and I'm going to live according to the Word of God. I'm going to remember how all of this began, and I'm going to continue to walk in it. And the Lord says this, that if you and I overcome, He's going to do uh, a couple things for us, which is really amazing. He says, if you will keep yourself unspotted by the world, I will give you the white robe. And because we need it, because as we're moving forward, we're, I'm, I'm aware of my personal sin and weakness and all that kind of thing. But the Lord says, but no, but this is about your intention. If you say, I'm not going to be spotted with the things of this world and its mindsets and its philosophies, the Lord said, I'm going to give you a white robe that's going to cover up the parts of your life that you're still working on but you will be seen as a light in the world. The Lord is helping us to understand that during the time of this was written, the Sanhedrins would examine a priest to find out whether he was good or whether he was corrupt. If he was found to be corrupt, he was given a black robe. If he was found to be righteous and innocent, he was given a white robe. You and I have a choice today to be the remnant of the Lord, to stand strong and to stand firm. And then he says this, and if you'll do that, I will, it will be for sure that your name will not be erased in the book of life. And what he's saying is, the Lord is saying, I will put your name in that book in which the names are not erased. 
So I might lose something in this world, but if I live for Christ, when I stand before Jesus and before his throne and that great book is opened up, I can know that the name of Jim Tarr is going to be in that place because of the righteousness that Christ has given to me. Because I've chosen to say yes to him in a world that doesn't say yes to him. And my name will be established there. And the Lord said, he'll confess me before the Father and the angels. And Jesus said two things. Twice he said it. He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. He also said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the angels in heaven. And when Jesus here is talking in the book of Revelation, he says, if you remain faithful and you overcome, I'll confess you before the Father and the angels in heaven. Here's what I want to tell, say to all of you. I want to implore all of you. Today's the day to live for God, to give your heart to Jesus Christ. We used to preach a gospel that was just self-help, all about you, Christianity, and it's not that. What is it about? It's about being saved to live for the cause of Christ upon the earth to this day. It's about, to, uh, it's about coming into the army of the Lord that stands up for the things that are about to be lost, that every generation has to concede for. That's what it's about. It's about getting on the right side. Being on the right side. So I just, I would say today, join the army of the Lord. Receive the white robe of his righteousness that he gives. Wake up. Repent and turn from what the world has promised you and go after the things that God has promised you. Eternal life, home in heaven, and righteousness. If you'll confess him before men, he'll confess you before the Father and angels. What I'm going to do as I close is this. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to ask yourself this question. Am I right with God? Have I received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to be identified with him? No matter what... Mom and dad might not like it. My brothers and sisters, my neighbors, my friends, the people at work, no one is going to understand. But the Lord says, you can stand up for your reputation, but I'm going to tell you, you'll think you're alive, but you're dead. So if you want to live for Jesus today and give your heart to him, I'm going to ask you to respond in two ways. First off, if you'd like to give your heart to the Lord, I'm asking you to lift up your hand, just saying, Pastor, I want to be included in a closing prayer to give my heart to Jesus. I want to come to the cross on which he died and confess my sin to him. And I want to receive forgiveness and I want to be born again. And then I'm going to ask you to do something else. Yes, I'm going to ask you if you raise your hand to pray that prayer in front of everybody even, to just come forward and stand here in the front with me. You won't have to say anything. You won't have to do anything. But you're making a public confession. I'm here on this earth to live for God and for the Savior who died for me. And then we're just going to pray for you that God would seal this decision in your heart. Let's all stand up this morning. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says this, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Heads bowed, eyes closed between individuals and God. Right now. If you need Jesus as your Savior today, would you lift up your hand and just say, Pastor, I want to be included in the closing prayer. Anyone here today, you've never met the Lord as your Savior. I see your hand right there. God bless you. 
Anyone else? Raise it up high so I can see it. Let's pray this prayer together with this one giving their life to Christ. Say these words. God in heaven, you loved me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and as my Savior. Sit on the throne of my heart and of my life. Wash me clean of all my sins. Cleanse me. Make me pure. I receive the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness and all that he has for me. Thank you for receiving me as a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Allie, come on up here. Richard, come join her. Would you do that? Father, we love Allie, and we thank you, God, for this day where she's giving her heart to Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. We stand in agreement with her. We already love her. We love her to life, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness today. I thank you, Lord, for her heritage and her story. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord God, that I know, I know that she counted the cost and she measured the price and this is a, a big day so father i just pray lord god seal this decision in her heart we receive ali today as our sister in the lord jesus christ we we receive her as an eternal member of the family of god and so lord we love you and we thank you for what you're doing this day in jesus name lord let her life bring forth more fruit than she could have ever imagined 30 60 100 fold lord multiply the things that you gave her at her birth, Lord, now anoint them and multiply them. Let her walk in destiny in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We love you. Yeah. If you need prayer for anything today, please come forward. There will be elders here in the front. If you want prayer, they're here to pray with you. No matter what it is with God, all things are possible. Lord, I just bless these people that are here today. I pray, Lord God, bless their lives, bless their homes, the roof over their head, bless the, the, the things that are in their care, bless their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Lord, bless Bless them, Lord, in their labors, God. Bless them in their singleness. Bless them in their marriages, oh God. Let joy be in their life and the peace of God. I pray, Father, your protection and provision for each and every one of them. Let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.